open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. As this morning we ponder the contrast between knowledge and love. The, the principle of why we're called to love from above. If someone asks you, hey, what was the study about? You can tell them, well, they, they talked about how we're called to love from above. And then the second thing of, is when we're called not to eat meat. And so you're wondering, what was it about? Well, it was about the love from above and, and when not to eat meat. Basically, uh, all kind of like uh, mended together with the knowledge and the truth and the love and the distinction in that. The difference between knowledge and love. Knowledge considers the information while love considers the relation. Knowledge looks only at the facts, while love looks at the folks. Knowledge asks only, is it legal, while love asks, is it right? Knowledge questions, can I, while love questions, should I? Knowledge only puts me first, but love only puts others first. And as a result of that, and you guys are going to see within today's study that knowledge, it puffs up, but love, it builds up. And so what was today's study about? Oh, they talked about, you know, love from above and when not to eat meat. But at the end of the day, my prayer is that when you go away today, somehow, some way, you will walk away with a deep conviction and a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to realize that at the end, what God has called me ultimately to do is to love him and love others and you're like well who am i supposed to love your your spouse your children everyone that god brings into your life jesus called them your neighbor and so you know that well, we're going to go through that it's important for us to understand the importance of love let me ask you a question what's the first commandment what's the first commandment to love Right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right, And then the second, which is kind of a Siamese uh, twin welded to it, is to do what? To love your neighbor as yourself. Right? What's the new commandment? You guys who know your Bibles, what's the new commandment? Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you so you also ought to love one another. And so, you know, just understanding the importance of love, that God calls us to love Him, and the way that we show we love Him is by loving others, and the way that we love others is the way that Jesus loved us. How will the world know we're His disciples? By our bumper sticker, right? By our t-shirt, no. The world will know his, were his disciples. And Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so, man, it's a real big thing. First uh, John chapter 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, 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 you are loved by God. You are the beloved. And therefore, man, let it in. Because then when it comes in, it goes out. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
And so we're talking about love today. It's kind of cool. The first commandment, the sign of salvation, the sign of discipleship. And as Christians, you know, we're not just disciples. We're, we're also debtors. You know, one of the good goals that we should probably have is to pay off all our debts. How many of you here are trying to pay off all your debts? I'm just curious. You won't admit to it, huh? It's a good goal financially, but do you know it's an impossibility spiritually that you can't pay off all your debt? Romans 13, 8, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. I hope you know you will always owe everyone love. That, that's what Romans 13.8 says. The Bible is flooded with so many commandments to love that I think we could drown in them. And so I just pray you guys know this. Uh, you're like, well, I don't know about that person. You know, this and these things have happened. Just, man, let it settle in your hearts. The way that God has loved you, let's love one another. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're eventually going to talk about something that's completely cross-cultural, we're going to be studying about the issue of meat offered to idols. But before you get disinterested, we need to know that the principle Paul gives in the context is that above all, we are to love one another as God has loved us and commanded us and called us to do. And so we will see today what a difference, what a difference it makes to your spouse, to your children, to your neighbors, to the strangers. What a difference it makes when we really love one another the way Christ has loved us. And so look what we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 1. He says, Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, or love builds up. So again, Paul is about to answer another one of the Corinthian questions concerning meat offered to idols. But before he dives in, he gives us one of the most important principles in all of life, that knowledge alone, it puffs up, it, it leads to arrogance and, and pride. You guys, you know, maybe you know Hebrew, maybe you know Greek, maybe you speak Greek. That's cool, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you have, you might be filled with pride, which is the root of all sin. On the other hand, Paul says, love doesn't puff up, it, it builds up. And it's critical for us to know that, you know, that true love flowing in and through our lives will indeed build others up. And I know you guys, you want to make a difference in people's lives, right? Love will lift them up when they're down, encourage them when they're tempted to quit. Love will help them to mature and grow up to become strong and committed Christians. That's what love does. You see, knowledge, it just puffs up. There's not much there. It's like the difference between a bowling ball and a balloon. That's what knowledge is, but, but love, it, it builds up. And there's a contrast there. You know, what a tragedy it would be to learn the truths of the Bible intellectually, but it's just theology. It then becomes bad for me and others, and I start behaving rude and crude and inconsiderate and loud and proud with all that knowledge without love. Paul says, if that's you, then you end up puffed up. He says, beloved, let's guard ourselves from this. It's 
It's actually possible, and I've seen it over the years, to read and study and learn this book academically, to go to Bible college, graduate from seminary, know your Christian theology inside and out, and yet not really living out the Christian life. Some of the Corinthians uh, were blessed with knowledge. We read in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 5 that all were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. I mean, they were blessed. They were enriched with this knowledge. But one of the problems they had as a church, and Paul's going to deal with it like full force in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is they were knowledgeable and they were very gifted, but they did not have love. And so in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 2, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And so think about it. Here's someone who understands all these mysteries. You know, and maybe you've answered the call and you've learned it all. You know, listen, it doesn't matter at all if it's not accompanied with love. If that's me, a guy with knowledge but no love, I am nothing, I am nothing like Christ. That's how important this is. You know, according to Ephesians 4 and verse 15, we need to know the truth and speak the truth in love, and then and only then will the body built up. You know, I thank God. In all reality, I don't see this in this church although I don't know all of you guys all that well, but I have seen it in other settings or maybe heard it on the radio or saw it on the video. Some of the guys who think they know it all. And every once in a while, someone will ask my wife, Shelly, hey, what seminary did Manny go to? Because they want to know how much I know, right? And she starts getting nervous and uh, asking the question. I'm just joking. She she said, well, he went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. I think he graduated, but I'm not sure. Why? Because a lot of times people have the perception that you you got to know, and that's what makes a, a good pastor. And yes, you know, hopefully we do know the, the Lord and we know the Bible. But what about love? Sometimes they have all that stuff and, and they don't have love. Again, I don't see it here, but I have seen it out there. And we all have to check our hearts, right? You know, and so these guys, a lot of times, they, they think they know it all. And Paul addresses that question in verse 2. And if anyone thinks, notice again, uh, chapter 8, verse 2, if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Interesting. Because a lot of times people are all caught up in knowledge. Have you ever heard that saying, the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know? You know, you took a class and now you know more names of famous philosophers and scientists and archaeologists. But the truth is, the more you learn, the more you realize you need to learn more about the philosophies and discoveries of all those guys, right? Maybe that person is familiar with the term theology and they think they've got it down, the study of God. I'm so proud of me. I know the definition of the Trinity, right? But then as you're learning and diving into this whole realm, you learn about other branches of theology like bibliology or eschatology or pneumatology or 
ecclesiology, homartiology, soteriology, and it just goes on and on and on. And there is that person, they think they know better, they know it all. The more you, you learn, the more you realize how ignorant, how much you don't know. It's never an avenue, an avenue for pride. And then we're struck, really. We're humbled, really, with the reality that no one is even close to knowing everything. And therefore, none of us have anything to be proud of when it comes to knowledge. As a matter of fact, notice what Paul says next in verse 3. Notice he says, But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. How many of you here love God? Just out of curiosity. Then you're, you're known by him. It's not really a matter of what you know. It's a matter of who you know. And it's not really a matter, really, even the fact that you know him. It's more a matter of the fact that he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows all your struggles. He knows all your trials. And he still loves you. He takes care of you. See, that's where we need to minister. That's where we need to be caught up in, not in the knowledge, the head knowledge without love. You know, when you look at this, um, you've got to ask yourself these questions. Lord, is this me? I mean, it, it's cool. And really what Paul is doing here is a really neat thing. He's asking about whether or not we love God. Is He's kind of setting us up for something that he's going to ask us to do in loving others, right? You, know, you, you say you love God. How many of you here raise your hand? I love God. Do you, do you love others? Our love for God will always manifest itself in love for others. That's why John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? It's been said that our love for God is manifested and can be measured in proportion to the person we love the least. So I want you right now to think about the person you love the least. That's how much you love God. See, Paul here, he's trying to bring us to real Christianity Real Christianity. I'm not going to mess around. I'm not going to play church with you. I'm not going to let you slide by. I care about you. And I want you to know this is the calling for us as Christians. I want you to love people so that they'll be built up. They'll be blessed. They'll grow. They'll mature. And so he's not pulling any punches. This is where Paul is building to his point. Because there in Corinth, there were some who knew a lot but loved a little and you put together the principle of why we're called to love from above with the precept of when we're not to eat meat. And so we read next in verse 4. He says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know, there's that knowledge, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but, but one. We know that. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, 
Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. And Paul here is going to now deal with their question concerning the eating of things offered to idols. Have you guys ever gone into one of those little stores or restaurants where they have the little shrine right there, maybe a statue, and they have the food that's offered to their God? Have you guys ever gone into that? That's what he's talking about, kind of, but a different. We're going to talk about the differences. These are things offered to idols, but but you're a Christian. You know the Bible. You know better. You have that knowledge that those idols are nothing. It's nothing. It's made of wood, stone, clay. It's a lifeless structure and statue made by the hands of men. We know that. We know we have that knowledge is what he's saying. You know, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 115, 3 through 7, where it says, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. We know, as Christians who know their Bible, that that's a lifeless statue. An idol is nothing. You know, in the world, they claim to be gods, you know, the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, millions of gods out there, right? But the truth is, we know there's only one God who made us for himself, and there's only one Lord. His name is Jesus, and he has given us life. We know that. And so when you think about that little tangerine that was offered to an idol, let me ask you guys a question. You know, they offer it, they give the tangerine to their little shrine. Would you eat it? After they offered it, would you eat it? How many of you here would eat it? You're like, well, it depends on if I'm hungry or not. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing, you know. It's like, it's a kind of a funny situation, even though we know. Uh, some of you here, you're so strong in your faith. You're like, absolutely, I would eat that. You know, you don't even blink an eye, right? Because you just know the truth, right? But others might, might struggle with that, right? And, and so um, what he's saying right here is we know, we have that knowledge about God. And, and so here's the question, though. So uh, should we eat meat offered to idols and with a whole setting of others stumbling and all that kind of stuff? Does that settle the issue? You know, should I tell them you don't like it, get a tissue? Uh, I like it. You know, my treat of meat, uh, so too bad, so sad. I mean, shouldn't the, shouldn't, shouldn't the facts determine our acts? I mean, isn't it just like boom, slam dunk, knowledge? No. There's more to it. Think about a, a little child who's afraid of the dark. Any of you guys ever remember being there? Some of you still are. That's okay. But you know, you're a little child and you're afraid of the dark and then mom and dad comes to the bedside and you know, they could tell them, hey, there's no such thing as kukui. I want you to know that, you know, it's the truth. You know, there's no boogeyman. And you know, let me teach you the doctrine of God's omnipotence or God's omnipresence. You're not alone. You know, and you tell them the facts and you give them the knowledge, but, 
But, you know, I mean, if you wanted to, you could just leave them at that. But that's what knowledge would do. But love would do so much more. Love would hold their hand. Love would pray with them. Love would stay with them. Love might then, even after they fall asleep, put a, a little nightlight so they don't have to be afraid. See, we could just kind of do, boom, you know, the, the knowledge stuff. But, but God has called us to love each other. Love that weak brother. Give them time to grow. As a matter of fact, be instrumental in their growth by loving them. It'll blow their minds. That's what he's trying to say. You know, it's not that simple when you love people. And that's what he says in verse 7. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we are eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And so we know, we're, we're fully convinced that an idol is nothing. Now in chapter 10, we're going to see that the lies behind the idol are demonic, but the idol itself is nothing, right? And so not everyone, not every Christian, however, has that same understanding or conviction. In those days, you know, they would take their uh, meat and they would take it to the priest it was either a private offering or a public offering it was a private offering you would take it to the priest and he would burn some of it to their god sometimes even just a little hair as long as something went to their god then a portion went to the priest and then you could take the rest home if it was a public offering you would take it to the priest and again they would give a portion to their god and then uh, some would go to the government actually and that would end up in the meat market at Stater Brothers. It's kind of interesting, the way that it worked. And you can get that meat for cheap. And so a lot of people will want to go get that meat because it's a better buy. Um, but it was, it's crazy. Have you guys ever heard of that word shambles? Shambles. We usually kind of identify it as a, just a mess, right? But when it first originated, it was a, it was a, it was a meat market mess. It was a slaughterhouse where all this meat was. And so that's where they would get the meat for cheap. And so, you know, you, you, you think, well, it ends up in the meat department. I'm going to go down and I'm going to get the, the one with the better buy. And so in that culture, in that context, in those issues, knowing it's been offered to an idol, you know, is it okay to eat meat and is it okay to do it in front of others that struggle? Even though we know the idol is nothing and you know, even though we know, even verse 8, look at verse 8. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat 
or are we the worst? You know, for some people, believe it or not, they, they think that whether they uh, don't eat or whether they do eat, it, it has some type of significance in their standing before God or their commendation before God. You know, and so they won't eat cake. They won't even eat angel food cake. It's crazy, whatever, you know. Or whatever, you know, it's all about feasting. It's all about feasting. Or it's all about fasting. It's all about fasting. And some people are really caught up in that. No, it's, it's all about Jesus. We have learned that. We have learned that. I can't earn his love. I can't earn his grace. I can't earn his spirit. Uh, I, we have learned, we've learned the Bible, the, those things that don't commend us to God. He loves me because of who he is and his love will, will never change based on my behavior. You have a good day today, well now God's bound to bless you. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way grace works. We know that. It's not about feasting. It's not about fasting. We know that. But not everyone knows that. They're growing. They're learning what freedom is. They're learning what love is. They're learning who Jesus is. They're learning the way that he deals with people. You know, so when you're here and all the decisions that we're making as a church and all the interaction that we have and all the things that we do and so God lays someone on your heart and then you consider them and you become a considerate, loving Christian uh, that's what Paul is saying. That's how we make our decisions. I mean, I, I don't drink because I think it's completely unnecessary. I don't need a, a, an alcoholic stimulant to modify my behavior, to relax me. I don't want to waste my money, and I see what it does. It could do it to me. But another reason I don't drink is because imagine if you saw me drinking, and you said, well, Manny does it. And he's a pastor, so I guess it's okay to do, but then inside your conscience, there's something in there that's not right. But you do it anyways, because you figure, well, if Manny does it, then I'm sure it's okay, because he loves God, and supposedly whatever, this and that, and then you go against your conscience, and what that does to you, listen, when you go against your conscience, it thrashes you on the inside. That's why it's important to, to listen to your conscience. Eventually, as you grow in knowledge, your conscience gets molded more by Scripture. But you can't go violate your conscience and expect to be a healthy person. And so that person ends up, you know, drinking. Next thing you know, they get, you know, to this place where they start gravitating back to that God that they had been set free from. So much so that Paul says here, they, they, they stumble to the, point of, they, to, to the point of perishing. Because of me, they literally tripped out of the faith. And so what we're learning, and what I'm learning not only as a Christian, but also as a pastor, is that every decision I make, first I ask God, Lord, how does you see it? What does your word say about it? But then secondly, I also ask God about my witness. Lord, how what will people say, you know, when I buy the Hummer? What will they say? <laughs> no. I mean, I don't know. Again, it's between you and the Lord. I don't think there's anything wrong probably with you having a Hummer. Maybe for me it would be different. But just all the decisions, everything is brought before the Lord in this atmosphere of agape love. 
You know, Paul says right here, listen, the other brother might not be as strong as you. And he sees you scarfing up that sirloin in the temple down the street. And then they go and they stumble and they fall. And they don't just fall, but they fall away. And, and it happens. Why? Simply because that Christian did not consider them. We only considered ourselves. We didn't love. We only loved ourselves. And so the damage it does to them, to me, is stimulant enough. But it's not just the damage we do to them. Notice again what we read in, in verse 12. But, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And I know there's a, a lot, there's a depth to this that we see throughout the scriptures but one thing I think we can all relate to is what happens to you when someone hurts, you know, your family. You know, when someone, think about it, like maybe one of your children and they just come and they're mean to them and they mistreat them and they hurt them, whatever, you know, in some different way. What does it do to you as a dad, as a mom, as a friend? And so you're thinking, you're, and you're taking this into consideration because we know that every person in the, in the church, they're a part of the body. Every body is a part of the body. So I don't want to hurt not even one of them because that's Jesus' body. And they, they, maybe they, for them, they have a little struggle over this. And I don't want to make you stumble, so I will accommodate you. That's all he's saying. Underlying principle is just having this heart of, of loving you guys. Loving everyone the Lord brings into your path. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of times, some of you here, and I would just say this, for you, like loving, it just comes more naturally, man. I'm jealous of you, you know? But... It's just an amazing thing. I know it's supernatural, but it's also natural. But a lot of times for someone like me, or maybe for some of us guys, maybe we're a little bit more selfish in nature in some ways, not always, but in some ways. We have to stop and just think about people. Stop and just think, okay, I'm going to spend time thinking about how I can love others. And you consider them, what they're going through, and then, you know, maybe you, you pray for them. Maybe you send them a little card. Maybe you visit them. All I know is that there's something you do, and you might not even verbalize it. Right here, think about it. If I'm not eating meat, I don't go up to the person and say, hey, I want you to know that I'm not eating meat because of you. You just love them. They might not even really know in an explicit way that you're loving them but you're praying for them, you're thinking of them, you're doing things in consideration of them. That's what Paul is saying. And they might not be able to put their finger on it, but they're growing because of your love. Paul then concludes, and again in verse 13, he says, Therefore, if, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. But Lord, I love to eat meat. It's just a little bit. Just try tip. Lord, that's all it is, right? And I don't 
think I'm exaggerating here. I think if you guys were honest, uh, that for a lot of us here, food is our love language, right? I, I, I've heard that. I've seen that. Hey, what's for breakfast? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? <laughs> Those are our three favorite questions. And we think about it and we look forward to it, right? And so you love food and we love food. And that's just unfortunately a part of our fallen nature. But do we love others? Do we love the brothers, the sisters? Do we love God? You see, there needs to be some Christian compassion in our life. You're strong, that's cool, but we got to know that people need space and time to grow. So keep loving them. Now again, when we look at this, I think we can understand a little bit of where they're coming from. Even though we know idols are nothing, we know that feasting or fasting has nothing to do with our standing before God, my dear brother or sister is struggling with that. And so I will modify my behavior, even if it means, even to the point of, if it means, I will never eat meat again. And it gets radical. It gets crazy because that's the calling of God on our life. I hope we care and I hope we show Christian compassion to when it's to the point where it comes not a question of theology, but a quest for love. No longer eat meat, no longer drink alcohol, no longer smoke cigarettes, although I don't know why anyone would do that. You know, no longer watch dirty movies. I will do my best to be considerate of others and live a life that goes beyond the knowledge in my head I'll live a life based upon the love that God puts in my heart. And that's why, you guys, be careful where it's not just knowledge. Well, the Bible says, no, it's knowledge mixed with this enormous amount of love that changes lives. How many of you here like the Green Bay Packers? Just out of curiosity. There is a Green Bay Packer fan here. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wish there was a story about the Raiders because I know you guys like the Raiders or the Rams. But during the 1966-67 football season, the great quarterback Bart Starr wanted to motivate his son in school and he offered him a financial incentive. He said for every quality paper that Bart Jr. brought home from school, he would give him 10 cents. And so he earned some money that year. He earned many dimes. Dad was generous. And at the same time, his son was not only learning literature, he was learning love. Because what happened one night after a bad game in which Bart Starr felt he had performed poorly, he returned home bruised and battered. It was late at night after a long plane ride. And then he entered into the bedroom, and there attached to his pillow was a note from his little boy. And it said, Dear Dad, I thought you played a great game. Love, Bart, and taped to the note were two dimes. And here's the thing. He could have dealt with his dad according to knowledge. You know, knowledge would have said, Dad, your stats are down. Dad, you threw two interceptions, less receptions, less yardage, and you got sacked three times. Dad, you look bad. You know, that's knowledge. That's the facts. But love, Dad, love said, Dad, you played a great game because I know you gave it your best. 
I know it's deeper than the numbers, and I saw your honest effort. I'm sad because you're sad, Dad. So I'm going to give you 20 cents. Let me ask you a question. What do you think that love did to Dad? It built him up. It built him up to the point that that year, the Green Bay Packers won the Super Bowl, led by none other than Bart Starr. And, and when you look at this and you understand the calling of God upon our life to consider not just ourselves but others, obedient to the Holy Spirit to the point of even if it meant, Lord, I won't eat meat, it's okay. Because that's the love that God demonstrated towards us when he gave his son to die on that cross. So you got to let that love in. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, I pray you would know Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. He rose again. And if you place your faith in him, today you can experience that love. But you got to open your heart and you got to let it in. And as you do, your life will begin and it will never be the same. He will forgive you of your sins. He'll break the chains of addiction. He'll set you free and he'll write your name in the book of life. And when you die, and none of us know when that day is. It could be tomorrow. It could be any time. But when that time comes, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will be forever and ever and ever in the presence of God. Not because of the fact that you and I, you know, jumped through the hoops and we have behaved the right way. It's because you and I believed. And so I pray that if that's you here today, you would do that for all of us as Christians. I know for a fact that God is calling us to, to love like he has loved us. Set